You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn and I'm sitting down today with you. I'm sitting down with a couple of mothballers that answered the call to fill us in on some of the things they collect, the things they're interested in, their most valued pieces and tips. We're first joined by Erica Gidry of Echo Lima Golf. She answered the call to come sit down with me tonight to answer some of our burning questions about collectors. Hi, Erica. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing lovely. It was kind of an overcast day here today after it turned into like uh, the surface of the sun this week. So I will take that. Yeah, we, had that, that. we had that problem too. But we have uh, humidity. I guess you guys probably don't have the humidity that we have. No, I would die. Yeah. I wouldn't be nice to anybody uh-huh. if I live somewhere hot and humid. <laughs> I cannot. Jill would be fine. She would actually probably be very happy. Mm-hmm. But me, myself, like a, a, a dash of humidity makes me really angry. But it's okay. I will. That is my burden to bear, I guess, to hate the heat. And I only really hate it when it's like above 90 degrees. That's where I start to get. Oh, that's like six months of our our year here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it's um, over here. We have like, we're just getting into summer. It's been a really late spring and it's taken a while to get to the heat. So I'm trying to be good about complaining about it because it's taken its time. What part of the country are you in? I'm in Charlotte. Mm, Mm hmm. You got all the things. You got the heat, humidity, scary insects. Yeah, yeah, we do, and we um, we'll get the uh, a little bit of hurricanes that go through South Carolina because we're right on the mm-hmm. on the South Carolina border. So we get that. We get tornadoes. We get all the fun stuff. We even had an, we had an earthquake yeah. last year. Oh, we're just, is that common for that no. part of the country? No. <laughs> no, I was like earthquakes are kind of our thing. Yeah. No, you guys sent us one. You're welcome. We got a tornado a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and that was interesting because there's no infrastructure for tornadoes here. Like we have basements, but nobody knows what to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have a tornado. We don't have like real basements here because of the yeah. soil. So they're all like walkout basements. Mm. They're not truly underground basements. That's and you know it's funny when you grow up in certain parts of the country, you don't realize that like house types are different regionally mm-hmm. to your area like I always we always had a basement and then in, w- growing up nobody had air conditioning right. in their homes so you just went downstairs yeah and so when some <laughs> earlier in my life when somebody be like it's so hot I might go in the basement they're like I'm below sea level I don't have a basement yeah like yeah because that makes sense my family's from uh southern Louisiana there's there's no basements the houses are all in yeah. stilts it's- that's yeah and that yeah that's a whole other thing of what, how do you get away from the heat and the bugs I guess you just get used to it right where you live you adapt where you live yeah. So I always like to ask somebody whether they're like I'm meeting them in an antique store an estate sale. Why did you start collecting specifically? Like what about it drew you to it? You know, I really don't know what it was. Um, Cause like my family, there's no like collectors. Nobody's really super into it. It just was something that when I was in high school, it kind of started with lunch boxes. Ooh. Yeah. And I like, that's, that's one thing that's like a common thread. Like we still collect lunch boxes, but it started when I was in high school 
um, with, uh, I still had my old ones from when I was a kid and we had my brothers, mm-hmm. but if you remember, um, the movie reality bites and that movie, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Janine Garofalo would carry around a Charlie's angels lunchbox as a purse. That's right. And I just thought that was the coolest thing when, <laughs> as like a teenager. So I was like, yeah, I want a Charlie's angels lunchbox so bad right now. <laughs> And I just, and did you carry it like a purse? Was that your goal? I did. Uh, and I found one at a yes. flea market and I was like, this is amazing. I want more of these. So now our basement I, is like covered in them. How many do you think you have? Um, you know, I don't even know. We have, it's not a, it's not an obnoxious amount, Yeah, but it's, um, it's probably not 50 of them. That's so great. I actually got my first couple of lunch boxes in the last two years. Yeah. Which ones did you get? And I feel like I feel like you'll appreciate okay. this. So last a couple of months ago there was like a random yard sale. These people were moving and this woman used to host the street yard sale. Mm-hmm. So she was like a yard sale expert. And I go in and I I immediately start to see things and I'm like, "Oh my god, those are really great and that's really cheap." Two of the things was one was a DuckTales lunchbox mm-hmm. for $3 and the other one was Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, that's a good one with the thermos and everything. Yeah. And I put it in my box and my friend was like, you don't like peewees. And I was like, this lunchbox is going to find the best home. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't yeah. walk away from this lunchbox. And so now my husband has inadvertently started a collection of lunchboxes yeah. in the house because he likes stuff like that. And he had a really great, I think he had a DuckTales lunchbox growing up. So it was like replacing that thing. Yeah. Do you have like a best find in the wild or purchase, like something you couldn't believe you found? Of a lunchbox specifically or? Yeah. Um, or anything. Um, one of the best lunchboxes I have is a, I don't know what year it is. It's a really old space lunchbox. But the picture on the front of it um, was from National Geographic and they didn't get permission to use it. So it was like recalled. So it's like a really rare <gasps> one. And it's, it's like a, yeah, it's really good one. And I have that one. And I later, um, actually in Seattle, I found the thermos for it. So that is one of our, so did you find them on opposite sides of the country? Yes, (laughs) but yeah, that's so cool. They are. Um, that's one of the best ones. And, uh, I have a a Scooby-Doo one. That's very, very good too. I really like the Scooby-Doo one because I looked for a long time to find one of those. Is Scooby-Doo one of your favorite shows? Do you love Scooby-Doo? Yes, yes. We have um, a pretty good uh, Scooby-Doo collection, too. Oh, this is good to know. If I come across anything Scooby-Doo, I know who to reach out to. Yeah, yeah. I have good Scooby-Doo stuff, too. Do you collect other like popular media type things in your home? Like, is it like, is that where your like wheelhouse is? Or is it just kind of whatever you like? um, It's mostly, yeah, pop culture stuff like that. Um, But we're also really big Halloween people. So Mm -hmm. we have um, a lot of Halloween stuff. We had to get a storage unit this year. I don't don't see any problems with that at all with collecting Halloween (laughs) things. I also love Halloween. Yeah. And having the show leaves the, uh, I can leave my Halloween stuff in my office all year Mm -hmm. long. We have some some stuff that's permanent. Uh, We have this little alien that dances that stays in the living room because the kids just love him. That's so good. Yeah. Now, when you're going to find stuff where you live, where are your favorite places to hunt? Like, where do you find the best stuff? Um, well, so here's the thing about Charlotte. 
Charlotte is one of those cities that like nobody's from here. Mm. Everybody has like moved here in the last 20 years. So like if you want to find good stuff, you have to go outside of the city because everybody just moved here. They got rid of all our stuff before they moved here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, why did everybody move there? What's the industry? Uh, or is it just because it was like cheap? Most, it's, it's banking and we have like really big hospitals here. So there's a lot of oh, like okay. healthcare and, and banking stuff. Yeah. So like everybody got rid of their stuff before they moved here. So if you want like the good stuff, you got to go out. So you go out and there's like um, antique malls out in the, um, mm-hmm. like I'd say further out than suburbs, but you know. Yeah. But that's yeah. where you find the good stuff. Little kind of hole in the wall places that maybe don't get a ton of traffic. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Do you have something in your collection that is your like most favorite treasured piece? Um, my most treasured piece is uh, actually when I was thinking about this, it's not like one of my collection pieces, but I have my grandmother's cookie jar. <gasps> it's like, uh, uh, I think it's called Shawnee pottery. Oh yeah. It's, uh-huh, Shawnee, it's yeah. the cat with the little hat and the bow bow tie. Oh my gosh. And it um it sat on top of her refrigerator forever. But when I got married, she gave it to me. Somebody had given it to her as a wedding gift when she got married. Oh. And it's just it's um it's put away in a cabinet right now because I have a three year old. But it's <laughs> Yeah. There are a lot of things in my house that don't get to exist outside of things because I have a four year old. Yeah. So I keep it um put away. But it is it's like my most special thing. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. That is so special. Yeah. So special. I love things like that that make it into our collections that maybe we wouldn't have had, but like the impact they have is so yeah. good. So good. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some time with me this evening. <laughs> um, I can't wait to hear more about your collections and uh, reach out to you for Scooby-Doo and Lunchbox stuff if I ever come across it. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. If you find any Lunchbox stuff, let me know, and I will give you the scoop. Lunchboxes are weird in that they they are priced really weird. Some of them are really high, even if they're not rare or hard to find. Mm-hmm. Some of them yeah. some of them you'll never see, but they're super cheap. Like it, it just, It's just a demand-driven thing. Really? It's very interesting. Just, when I was trying to find comps on like the duct, I was like, why is this all over the place? They are all over the place. It is. It is all over the place. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I can't wait for everybody to uh, hear your story and hear about that darling cookie jar. Yeah. And hopefully we don't drive up the lunchbox market. No, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just have to keep it between us. Yes, we will. <laughs> Great. Cut that. Next, we're heading over to somebody who is living the literal outlander dream, going to school abroad. She's collecting books. She's got a beautiful Instagram. We are joined by the pastel nerd, Miss Jackie, joined the call today. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Hi, I am doing wonderful. I am so excited to be here. And thank you so much. It is late er for you. I say that as a mom, like 930 to me is like essentially one in the morning sometimes. (laughs) So I appreciate it. I do. I do. And I am so glad we get to have you on the show because when I was looking over your Instagram, I was like, this is darling. The aesthetic, the dreaminess, the romanticism is so good. And like I said before we started recording, I cannot wait to rub uh, this into like Spelltrack's face to be like, guess what I got to talk about? 
books because she's got a lot of books. Yes. And you wrote in your little thing that you have this kind of obsession with a niche French author. So explain that to me. Who is the author? What's the obsession? What's going on? So it's funny that you describe my Instagram as romantic because the author that it is, is actually a part of the French romanticism movement. Um, her name is George Sand. Um, mm. And I use a she, her pronoun for her because George Sand is a male pseudonym for a woman named Aurora Dudevant. Ooh. And basically this woman was writing at the same time as people like Victor Hugo of Les Mis and who else is writing? Alexandre Dumas, who did Three Musketeers. And this woman was outperforming all of them, but has oh. been largely lost to literary canon because of the fact that she was a woman and also because of the fact that she slept with every other male writer in Paris. Nice job. Nice. So, and like truly more power to her. And I love her for yeah. it. Yeah. And, and at the time, and like, right, it's, on my mind, you, you saw my face is just like exploding. I'm so yeah. glad I didn't have time to research any of this. Continue, please. Yeah. Um, and George kind of was a truly extraordinary woman in many ways. Um, she was the daughter of an aristocratic family. She married a duke. Um, is, is that the correct? Is that the correct rank? It's okay. Oh, oh Baron. They... A Baron. Oh, a Baron. He was a Baron. Okay. Because she was Baroness du Devant for a while. And oh. then she actually got a divorce from him. And she's truly extraordinary because she had one of the first cases in French court where she, the woman, got to keep custody of her children and keep custody of her ancestral property, which is a gorgeous manor house in like central France. Um and this was almost unheard of at the time. And then on top of that, she after that, she started her literary career and she started dressing in men's clothes, which was a big deal. Uh, I am in love with her. Yeah. In love with her. Mm -hmm. And she had, she was part of like this whole group of kind of, it's the cultural people of the era. It's um, it's like composers like Franz Liszt, and one of her most famous lover is the composer Frederick Chopin. Um, and, what? And they lived together for ten years. Had this incredibly passionate, not a lot of you know sex relationship, um, but they were incredibly creative in tandem and. There was because like he was sick the whole time and she was really paying his medical bills, but they were having such a good time together. And their their creative output in tandem created some absolutely crazy, incredible things. And because I was really into classical music, I found out about her through Chopin. Was he, there movements that he was writing inspired by her? Um, inspired by her, but very interestingly, he never dedicated anything to her. Interesting. Yeah, which people like point out a lot is like, oh, it's a breaking point in their relationship. But no, like they're they went on a kind of it's quoted as their honeymoon. They never they never mm -hmm. married. Um, she never married again after 
um, Casimir, her first husband, but they went to Mallorca. Um, it's oh. Corsica and um, mm-hmm. Mallorca and Sardinia are all kind of in that gulf in France. And they were like, oh, yes, we're going to take this nice trip together. And then it was bad weather the whole time. And that's when he was writing things like the raindrop preludes and all of his etudes of all of that kind of stuff. They were stuck in there together. And she has like a travelogue book about it. I, You're seeing the face that Jill always describes, by the way, of my like utter disbelief brain is blown up. Mm-hmm. And I wonder as you're saying all this thing where if like the dedication of a piece or a book or anything to each other, I wonder if it felt disingenuous to them because it was just like, oh, this is something we do. You've been a part of this for the whole time. Of course, you're a part of this. Why am I going to put your name on it? And it's funny that you mentioned that too, because at the end of their relationship, when it got a little bit rocky, um, she wrote this book called Lucrezia Floriani, which is essentially kind of bad fan fiction about the two of them. <gasps> it is true. It's, it's truly, she's just changed some names, some circumstances around. And as she was writing it, it was being published in chapters and their kind of extended circle of friends started coming up to him like, Hey, you know this is about you, right? <laughs> um, oh, my God. <laughs> so, she was going to drag him publicly. Like, yep. Yeah, and, like, this this poor man, he, after they kind of split, he lived for another two years. Um, <sighs> so she was truly kind of keeping him going for a very long time. He had, um, tuber- yeah. he had tuberculosis. Um, oh, goodness. So... This poor man is coughing. He's so sick. And this loud, angry woman is ready to drag him through the streets of Paris. She's like, here you go. Shouldn't have said that to me in the kitchen. I'm assuming I'm speculating their fights Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, throwing bread and olive oil at each other. Yeah, of course. Wow. Okay, I get it. I'm obsessed now, too. Mm -hmm. And kind of she has this kind of cult of personality that was like can you can clearly split it into like multiple eras because she had like her first kind of literature era where she's very like i i'm dressing as man so i can exploit all the things of being a man Mm -hmm. um and then as she gets into this relationship with chopin she kind of starts loosening down on that and being a bit more of a pretty wifey woman. And then once Chopin's off the scene, she's like, I am extremely invested in the lives of my grandchildren. My entire identity is now being a grandmother. Wow. So she has written a lot of what's called the pastoral novel. So Mm -hmm. it is kind of women in the countryside dealing with their affairs and then some historical fiction stuff, like historical for her. Um, and then she did a book of fairy tales for her grandchildren as well, which was very, which is very lovely. I don't have a book of those. There's a beautifully illustrated version that I have my eyes on, but I on don't have. I do not have that. But wow, truly an incredibly interesting woman. And that's, I mean, it's incredibly bold for the time period, first of all. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, 
not a time period where feminism is a uh, appreciated or even understood thing. I mean, it could get you in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Even just dressing yeah. like uh, the you know male specific fashion, like mm-hmm. she had to wow. she had to go to the city of Paris and get a license to wear pants. Ain't nothing changed. Ain't nothing yep. changed. <laughs> wow. Thank you for that. That is all of the information my brain absolutely loves. And the fact that you had that all on recall is also lovely. That's also how my brain works. Yeah, so I was just I've like, been, yes. I've been kind of like hyperfixiating on her for a very long time, since probably freshman year of high school. So wow. this has been like a long time running. So I can kind of do that recall real quick. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, does this does literature have anything specific to do with your degree or what is your degree going to it's be funny <laughs> i want to say yes I, I i actually study international relations fantastic but what i want to do with that is the intersection of international relations and culture um so Marvelous. i would like to work in things like unesco which is the un's um cultural and scientific organization which does the world heritage sites very cool. Um, or like things with like art reparations and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of adjacent to what I want to do, but it's but this is a little bit more passion projecty. Mm-hmm. I keep saying that like I'll eventually write like a dual biography of the ten years that they were together because mm-hmm. like I have and like even beyond my like physical collection, I have a pretty big digital archive of like digitized letters and random things as well incredible Mm -hmm. and I think don't you know like um going into that career of like relations and heritage and culture and all of those things it is so important to understand the depths of history across the world Mm -hmm. so when you do come across stuff you can understand the significance of something Mm -hmm. I'm doing my very first um commission sale of somebody else's antiques and she was a dear friend and while going across they traveled a lot and so there were different items from different countries some not so you know not a problem and others they should definitely go back to where they belong Uh and i explained to the family and it was really nice to explain to the family like hey these masks that were bought in africa and they're on the inside she was meticulous about documenting where things came from she wrote the country and the year she bought it so it was like an instant link to be like okay yes this was bought on the african continent let's And so I explained to them, I said, these are going to be sold to somebody that uh, collects these things and displays them in a museum, and they're going to offer the price. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they just need to go. And I was upset because an auction house had made it through before I did and got some of the things that should have also been included in that lot. But it's Mm -hmm. incredibly important to, um, I had somebody message a little while ago, they thought they had come across an authentic uh, shrunken head. And forgive me, I've forgotten the actual name of that item that is used by the uh, indigenous people. But she messaged me and I reached out to some people to authenticate it. It was fake. It was a souvenir. It was made with goat skin, probably. But I was explaining to her, she's like, if it's real, I'm throwing it away. And I said, well, that's not really an option now that we found it. I said, we need to go through the proper channels of getting it back to its country of origin. She was like, oh, is that an option? And I was like, absolutely. Very much so. Absolutely it is. Yeah. But some people, you know, older generations are not necessarily aware of it. As hip on it. 
Yeah, you know, how dare us? Um, I have to wonder also, has traveling and like living abroad changed your collections or changed what you thought you were going to collect? Um, it has a little bit because specifically with Sons, that I'm in Europe, I have a bigger market for her books because they were, mm-hmm. they were bestsellers in Europe. Um, didn't quite get the same kind of high in America or anything. Um, yeah. But, and because I'm closer to France and I'm in Europe. So, but also I have the limited amount of, I have space because I'm a student and then I'm carrying things back and forth. Yeah. Um, I'm also a comics collector, which also kind of plays into that as well. Because like I have a big giant box full of comics and then I have four or five giant tomes of George Son books. And I'm just like, I don't know where to put all of this while I'm away. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a interesting quandary to have is the best mm-hmm. way that I can put it. But there definitely is, it's readily available in the U S I kind of have, um, I, I frequently, not frequently, I'd say I'm, in Detroit, in the Detroit and Arbor kind of area, kind of frequently. So I, mm-hmm. they have fantastic antique bookstores in Ann Arbor, and I'm fortunate that I have friends who look out for George Son books for me as well. Um, so I have quite a bit of luck there, but also in Edinburgh they have, it's a little bit easier to find kind of paperback kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I did have the fortune of taking my first trip to Paris this year. So I was able to visit the, a museum called Musée de la Vie Romantique, which is kind of this house turned museum that's in like the outskirts of Paris that Ooh. is kind of devoted to the Romantic era. And they have a gorgeous collection of her things and um, letters and busts and casts by her son-in-law. And um, I was able to pick up some actual, s- some French books, because a lot of this stuff is in mainly sourced in French. And unfortunately, yeah. I decided that the American school system, because it's more beneficial in America, I decided to learn Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of sitting here like, ah, oh, man, I really I wish, wish I learned French. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I sit here with a beautiful graphic novel um, about George Son, just like, haha, pretty pictures. Um, I, it's, like, it's like, I know what's going on. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I know her life, but, like, I don't know what she's saying. <laughs> you could use, like, uh, the Google app has the translate feature. That, that is true. I haven't, I haven't thought of doing that I before. use that for only when I find antiques that are in a different language, because mm-hmm. I, um, having to be different, decided to take French in high school and didn't fucking retain any of it. I took two and a half years of French and only know how to say, like, cheese pants and, like, stupid shit like that or <laughs> pronounce stuff. But the Google app has been incredibly helpful. I found a certificate from Germany in the 1800s that was like a carpenter certificate and it's hand quilled. It's gorgeous. But I had no idea what the hell it was. I was like, what is this? But that, but yeah, but luckily Spanish and French are very similar. So I think there's some. There's the disconnect between the romantic languages. So like I can, if I poke at it long enough, I kind of figure what's going on. 
Yeah. And, and I run into helps. pronouncing French words with a Spanish influence. Like, mm-hmm. and uh, that's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. That, no, yeah I, yeah. I I do that with this stuff too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am obsessed with this. Do you have, now I have to imagine, is one of your most treasured items one of these books or is it something that lies outside of that collection? I have, I have pulled two of the books. Please tell me. So this is one of them. It's kind of in this clean film because the cover is very old and kind of damaged. Yeah. So I can kind of move it around. So it is wow. a biography about her. So George Sanda's Search for Love. And it's got this kind of fashion plate of a man and a woman. And it said she traded this costume for this one. <laughs> and I love it. So she's showing me a book and we'll have pictures of this one posted. It's a yellow book and it's kind of set in the middle of a plate, like she says. And it's two very uh, romantic, like this huge gown and coat. And then a man is in a top hat and a kind of fitted jacket coat with trousers standing on the tips of his feet. She's got feathers on top of her head. Incredible. Big bonnet. Yes. And it's very much a, like, they they love to sensationalize her life because she was, like, really had so many affairs. And so, Mm -hmm. like, her life was, like, one big love, her big big search for love. Um, Wow. And so this cover just always makes me laugh. And it, I have a just... I have a distinct rating of her biographies in order of like, she is being demonized for being a woman with agency to Uh this was written by a woman who understands what she's going through. Oh, I Um, love that. So I, so this one is very much a sensationalized one. It's not one that demonizes her, but Mm -hmm. it's sensationalized. Um, And my other one is the graphic novel that I was talking about um Ooh, this was <gasps> and it looks Ooh. and it looks, it looks like, like a, kind of like a card. playing card mm-hmm. <gasps> oh that's gorgeous and so it looks like there's a it's a i can't tell if it's a man or a woman or it's a man and a woman oh, oh yeah. they're both her oh oh okay now it makes sense yeah so it's a uh, kind of reversed image like a playing card like a queen or a king or any of those i can flip the it two back. depictions of her it's beautiful and has like some embellishments on it that kind of gleam as she moves the book. It's very detailed. This is her house up here. The manor that she got with her mm-hmm. divorce. Oh. It was her family, so she got to keep her family one. And the um oh, I always forget what this page is called. But the, this inside inlet paper is one of the beautiful wallpapers in her house. Uh, um what this a great is detail. the one that's in not her room that one's dark blue this is her dining room wallpaper i wow. want to say um but it's all this absolutely gorgeous there's her in the courtroom <gasps> oh so it's like a oh i love a graphic novel biography yeah that's fantastic um let's see if i can find a chopin page um yes here they are here she is meeting seeing him for the first time at a party oh wow and she's like wow her face i can't believe this listen to this music Mm -hmm. she's stunned yeah and they're they're going on their trip to mallorca this is the panel that always really gets me wow um it's also on the the back as well (laughs) what a beautiful depiction of their love for each other right that that being swept up into each other Mm mm-hmm um, that's gorgeous. 
she used to like to sit, she used to bring like a little mattress and sit directly underneath the piano and just sleep there while he was playing. Mm. Sounds to me like she's got a little bit of neurodivergence. Like, oh, uh, oh my God, so much. <laughs> 100%. Like, I'm going to get in a small space with booming noise and vibration and just fall fast asleep. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. She, her, she, had the, this, she got really into gardening for a while. The gardens at her house are beautiful. Oh, yeah, the, the, of, big, yeah. the, the biggest, my biggest point towards church on neurodivergency is in her old age, she got really into puppet theater. Oh, God. So she was like, I'm going to force my entire extended family to help me build this little puppet theater in my house. And I'm going to make puppets painstakingly by hand of all of the figures in my life. And I'm going to put on little puppet shows of everybody. (laughs) Um, If you were in my life at this point, when I bring up 60, 70, 80 years old, and I go, you know what I'm going to get into? Puppets. Don't let me. Get me something else to do. Get me fucking ceramics or ceramics, glass making. knitting. Just Literally anything just else. Just not puppets. Please don't let me do that. Please don't. Please. <laughs> well, this is officially a George Song podcast now, because... Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. And of course, we'll post um, the things that you showed me today and a yeah, couple of other stuff can, that I'll find. I can make a, a make a nice little pretty Instagram picture of all my <gasps> of all my books. I would love that. Yeah. Um, and I'll just snag it. And I think my final word on if you are interested in George Sand Absolutely. and yes. want more George Sand in your life, may I recommend my favorite movie of all time? It is called Impromptu. Ooh. It is a film that came out in 1991. And it is a historical romantic dramedy with a truly all-star cast. I'm going to list some names. Please, I'm going to Google it. list. We have Hugh Grant as Chopin. Shut up. Judy Davis as George Sand. Bernadette Peters. Mandy Patinkin. Shut up. Damon Thompson. How is this flying under the radar? How is this movie lost to time, essentially? And um, who, else is, who else is in it? Julian Sands is Franz Liszt. Um, and it is, this film is truly incredible. Um, it's, I, I think, yeah, it's on, it's on, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I gotta look, this is. I'm just looking at the rest of the cast and I cannot believe that it has never come across. It's truly wow. amazing. Um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember cause I, there's a YouTube video out there of like this movie and like a promotional um, package deal. I'm trying to remember the, what the other films in that package deal were, but I cannot remember for the life of me, but I'll have to Google it. It is truly, it is a hysterical film. And it is a really good film. And I have to watch it. I'm going to make if, a movie night out of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is very good for movie night material. Um, and there's a whole host of other George Sand movies. I have my own ranking of those. <sighs> um, but I think Impromptu is my favorite because it is funny and it is somewhat realistic. And it's not mean to George. 
all the good because picks, in right? so many of them yeah and also hugh grant's there i mean and he's he, hugh grant is in his prime of playing a sick little mm-hmm. a sick little romantic victorian boy mm-hmm. like he's really was living it up in the 90s playing those oh, yeah. roles and yeah he's fantastic in this film and the costume is great wait. it's great. yeah um i can't wait to watch it and look for all the stuff in the background Oh, and yeah. I can't wait to tell Spellcheck. I'm sure she already knows. And she'd be like, you dumbass. I already know who this is. Like, well, I didn't. Let's talk about it now. I'm a, Now I can be on your level <laughs> with it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I'm so, that I'm was fantastic. So, I'm always happy to talk about my girl. I love her so much. Also, also, because it's Prime Month, she was bisexual. I'll say it. I mean, I mean, no, you could totally say that. Yeah. She's not happy, the first bisexual pride, on the George, show or the George last Sons. one. George Sand Happy and Chopin were bisexual. Here you go. Yeah. It's been around since the dawn of time, people. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. This is your first time here at the Mothball Prophecies, and you got a little bit of that hate in your heart. Oh, yeah. You, you can't. I'm, Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, ne- I've ne- I'm never afraid to say it when it comes to them. Good. Me neither. Good. Mm-hmm. I love that. It I wonder the delightful. whole time. I was like, are they? She, they're. they're- you know, you know, we're doing the hand flappy. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was delightful. <laughs> I'm so glad you listened to the show and I will be in touch. Yes. I obsess. This is incredible. Thank yeah. you so much. Be prepared to think about her for the next year and a half. That's what we're doing. Yeah, that is my absolutely. next deep dive. George, George Sean Summer. George. Yes. Instead of hot girl summer, it's George Sean Summer. Yes. We're wearing men's clothes. We're giving no fucks. Exactly. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Now we are joined with Alex DiGiovanni of Eagle Eye Finds. He's joining me before he goes to sell at a flea market this morning. Good morning, Alex. Morning. How are you? I am doing well. I woke up way too early today, <laughs> like 5.30, but that's all right. There's much to be done today. We have a, a regular episode to record later in the day. So Very fun. I think they say like get after it or some bird mm-hmm. gets the worm or something like that. I'm not yep, sure. Yeah. I'm all about those birds, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we, um, speaking of birds, we've had the interesting migratory patterns in the West of birds that come through. And usually I don't have a ton of birds in my backyard. And this year I've had a lot. What part of the country are you in? I just moved to uh, Arlington, Virginia. So I'm in the DC area right now. Mm. Where did you move from? Uh, I'm originally from Illinois. So I was in oh. Illinois for school and then suburbs of Chicago for early, early like childhood stuff. <laughs> oh, very cool. I, we have this infatuation with that part of the country with collecting. Cause I feel like you literally trip over really great vintage all the time. Is that true? Or is that a fantasy of mine? I haven't had too much time to really look around here lately. I moved here in ju- last July and then like work mm. got really crazy, but I'm having a lot of free time now to actually go out and look. So I, this past few weekends, I've been like really finding some cool stuff. So I'm excited to keep going this summer. What do you specifically pick for? Because you have Eagle Eye Finds. Is that a full-time reselling thing? Um, no, it's, that's part-time. It's kind of like my, yeah. my side hustle, but I mean, it does a good good chunk of stuff. So um, yeah, I, I I look for, of course, license plates, pennants, um, and then pretty much anything that looks cool that I could see in a decor type setting. So, Oh, that's very cool. When did you start like finding, When we, I guess, when did license plates and pennants become the thing you were after? Pennants started, I don't know, in like 2015 or 2016. That's when I started. I think I started a second Etsy 
account before I started my own website. And so that was just penance. And that was around 2016, I want to say. And then license place didn't happen until later, um, just probably three or four years ago. So. Yeah. And license plates is always interesting to me because I feel like you can find them for a pretty good price most of the time. Like people don't Unless view they're them like as these. a... <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Are those super, the ones behind you, are they super rare? Yeah. These are after? all porcelain. And so they're the early, earliest ones from all the states that offer porcelain plates. But yeah, they're usually pretty pricey. <laughs> That's so cool. So I didn't even consider that. Obviously, they had porcelain uh, signs, right? Like yeah. license plates. That's very cool. Um, we had uh, somebody on that collected license plates a long time ago. And that was where we looked up like Idaho's first license plate, which mm-hmm. had a big potato on it. Yeah, and it is a really... I don't have after. one of the... Yeah, I don't have one of the embossed ones, but I have the ones with like the, the sticker on there. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're cool. Yeah, Idaho's hard to find really early plates from. So they're usually pretty pricey. Oh, I'll keep my eyes peeled if I ever stumble across <laughs> any. I have, and Idaho is strange with license plates. They don't, you don't transfer them to another car. You take mm-hmm. them off and get new plates. Mm-hmm. So I have this collection of license plates from cars or like I got my, my aunt bought my grandmother's car mm-hmm. and then gave me the license plates. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, so I've just been putting them up in yeah, like, my yeah. shed. Like, I'm like, okay, uh-huh. one day these will be <laughs> really great. And I wanted to ask you specifically, because it's a like debated issue in the world of vintage and antiques, mm-hmm. where a lot of people think every vintage or antique item needs to be saved or the very least restored. But like, what is your cusp for like, we just got to throw it away. We just, this just needs to be done with its life cycle. Um, I personally don't buy stuff that I would ever consider throwing out. Um, like, cause I, I'm a reseller. So mm-hmm. as, a, as, as well as a collector, but I primarily resell. So when I'm out buying stuff to st- stock my shop, um, I really try to, um, really only pick things I know is either I'm going to sit this cause I enjoy it and I'll enjoy it until it sells or just not buy it to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are vintage things out there that I don't necessarily need to say should stick <laughs> around. Like, I don't know, like those Avon, uh, perfume bottles that are, a dime dozen or mm-hmm. I don't know, like beanie babies or something like that. But mm-hmm. that were at one time a good fad of collecting, but not anymore. Yeah, I would agree with you. When I first started collecting, I think I was uh, really liberal with what I would choose to bring home. And I had the opportunity, I had this uh, for the first time, a commission sale come up where I'm selling antiques for somebody. Mm-hmm. And when I was going through the collection, I was the most particular and like litigious that I had ever been of looking through things of like this reselling part is going to go to people that I may or may not know. And like people Mm -hmm. that you do know will be like, Oh, okay. That has a chip or whatever else. But everything else was like, there was a couple of pieces. There was a, like a piece of Limoges that was big. It was like almost like a ginger jar. Mm -hmm. And I was looking it over. It was beautiful. And then I turned it around and it had broken half at one point and was completely, and I was like, that's just too big of a, yeah. Yeah, like if I end up with something like that, I'll still try to find, like my whole goal is to find the perfect home for mm-hmm. everything. So even if I have something that's broken, um, I'm all about putting things in the, like the right markets. So maybe it won't go to a vintage collector, mm-hmm. but I'll try to give it to somebody that's going to like maybe craft with it or something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at least still finding a purpose and not just going to the trash dump. 
Yeah, because part of your mission with Eagle's Eyes Finds is you just want people to have great vintage, which is like our thing here at the show. We just want somebody to love it as much as it was loved before. Definitely, yeah. 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 Um, when you are reselling, like what's your process of like cleaning things or like putting things on the market, getting them a little bit better than how you find them? And did the pandemic change any of that for you? Um, not really. It did not change for me too much. I do a lot of my buying, um, because I've been in school for these past few days, few years. So mm-hmm. I haven't had too much time to actually go source personally. So I do a lot of my sourcing online. Um, oh. And so when I'm looking for stuff to buy, I usually try to stay away from the, the time sucks of like, I need, this needs cleaning, this needs repairs. And so I really only try to buy the stuff that's like, okay, this is, I can get this shipped to me, take a picture of it, list it, and it's good to go. I don't really need to touch it too much. Um, I love that. So yeah, that's, that's like my steps of like, should I buy this or not? It's like, mm-hmm. what quality is it in right now? And can I list it right away or does it need to? be fixed or cleaned or whatnot. I actually really love that because um, I do the thing too. Sometimes where I'm like, oh, it's I can clean it up. But really, it is a time suck. Like yeah. you have the listing stuff and researching and then as well as cleaning. And if it's a delicate piece, the specialty part of right. cleaning it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. my, my whole view is like, as a reseller, it's like the time I spend cleaning or fixing this piece up, I could spend listing another hundred dollar item or something or a couple hundred dollar items because it doesn't mm-hmm. take that long to list it mm-hmm. but it takes a long time to clean something up or fix it or figure out how to fix it to begin with and all that stuff so yeah that's a i'm gonna put that brain nugget into my head going <laughs> forward like to remember that of like no you just gotta like get point a to point b and try not to spend too much time yeah that was definitely a, a learning process for me because i used to buy like when i used to go out sourcing i'd be like hey I could sell that. I could make some money on mm-hmm. that. But then it was came to the point where like, yeah, I can make money on that. But was it taking away from me selling some other things or like resources to buy some other things instead that are ready to go right now? And so mm-hmm. I've kind of like started to really limit myself and really think about like, can I sell this right now? Can I list this right now? Or does it take some time? Yeah. And I don't know if this is true for you, but I found it for me personally was when I first started looking at things through the lens of reselling, I would get like that shopping adrenaline where I'd be like, oh my God, look at this great stuff. And then when I got home to like my environment, I would start to look it over and I was like, oh shit, this has like so many more things wrong with it than I actually realized. Yeah. And now here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I It, it is what it is. It's, you can't always avoid that, but um, you try, you try, especially when you're in the moment. And it's like, if you're at like a flea market or a garage sale, it's like, you got to know right then or there, like, am I going to buy this or not? And it's not mm-hmm. like you can really mull it over, look yeah. it up on eBay or whatever. It's you got to know right then and there. So yeah. Cause you don't want to reveal your cards. You can't be right. too excited. You right. can't like, I, the other day I was at the Goodwill and I saw the box before I saw like the person in the cart and it was a, the original packaging for an anchor hawking, like chip and dip set. Mm-hmm. Which I'm a sucker for original packaging and it was beautiful mid-century and I'm like looking and this lady has her phone out obviously looking it up on eBay and all this stuff and I was like I hope you put that shit back on the shelf so I can just grab it. (laughs) Yeah, That's so good Mm -hmm. but she didn't. She ended up buying it I think. Yeah. (laughs) So why did collecting become important to you? Like why is it important for you for stuff to go to a place that's going to be loved? Yeah. um, I don't know. It's really just a part of me at this point. It's like, I, I, I appreciate the history of an item. I want it to be loved and people to learn about that history. 
and continue on carrying it on into the future. And so finding that perfect home where they're going to love it and care for it. And so it will eventually transition to its next perfect home is kind of like mm. my goal here. And so yeah. like, I love learning about like the history of like these license plates or I'm really drawn to like the travel things that are like connected to a location. I don't know why mm-hmm. I just kind of am. Mm-hmm. And so I like the pennants and the license plates are all like really cool to me because they're tied to that location. It's like, okay, this license plate is from Alabama or New Hampshire or whatever. And, and it was connected to some person it's in some point in history or like these pendants or like somebody went on vacation and bought this and put it in their house to, to decorate with or to remember mm-hmm. their time. And it's cool to keep on that, that uh, tradition of bringing back that, those memories and everything. Yeah. And I feel like travel souvenirs and things like that used to be like most everything, right? It was more detailed, more elaborate and oh, yeah. um, better quality than what you can find now. Like one of my favorite things, because I love souvenirs. I think they're wonderful. And when I'm traveling or I have a friend that's traveling, I'm like, find me the ugliest magnet with the name of the place you're at so I can bring it back. And so I have this wonderful, quirky collection of magnets from uh-huh. all over the world. And they're always so fun. And I always think like of my future home estate sale, somebody being like, well, did they travel? <laughs> like, oh, no, I didn't travel at all. <laughs> I just wished about it. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because we, you know, the whole reason for the show or for antiques in general that makes them interesting is the history behind them. You could walk into somebody's home and not know a single thing about them, but they'll go, oh, do you want to know about this? And then you're all in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, and especially if you're with, if you're like with a dealer or something, they're going to go off on long tangents about all the history of all their stuff, which is cool and inter- interesting. Just be prepared for that when you're going to talk to them. Especially if you're in like a small town and you walk in and there's an old man or woman behind, just get they're gonna go. Oh, we don't ever see people your age in here. Right, exactly. Yes, I get that Mm -hmm. all the time too, which sometimes Mm -hmm. works in my benefit, so I don't mind. Mm -hmm. It worked really well for me at a yard sale last year. It was a friend of mine who is probably sixty years older than me. (laughs) We're in an antique group together, and Uh I see on the table there's a entire box of vintage chenille pipe cleaners mm-hmm. and i'm like opening it up and there's no price listed and this old guy looks at me and he goes do you know what those are and i said you know i think i do and i'm playing coy right 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 and so i'm dickering with him and i offer him a price he dickers back i dicker back you know and my hope my friend the entire time was in the house she didn't know i was there yet so i was like undercover <laughs> bought it paid for it she comes out and she goes, oh, I wondered if you were going to grab those. <laughs> and she introduced me. And then the guy looked at me because he had been swindled. And I was uh-huh. like, you know, us young people sometimes know what a really great deal is. <laughs> yep, and definitely. And he was like, what the hell? Because I think I got the entire box for like $10. Whoa, for yeah, yeah. Just to have. <laughs> Do you have an item in your collection that is like your most treasured piece or like a find you couldn't believe you found? Yeah. Ugh. This. So I do a lot of decor and stuff that hangs on walls. So this sign is, let's see if I can center here. This uh, Hot Springs National Park tourist information sign is is my favorite piece in my collection. So It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's well, I, I really like it because I like, I love the font. I love the layout. I mean, even the shape is really cool. I mean, mm-hmm. right the square here. Um, and it looks like like one of those metal signs that would hang on like a L-shaped post. Right, yeah. There's, there's little hooks here for it to hang up and everything. So we just have it hanging on our wall now, but I really like it because this is probably the only one ever made. 
because yeah. Hot Springs National Park was the smallest national park at the time. And it's, it was until quite recently. So it's probably like the only one in existence. And so it's like, it's how old do you think like, it is? It's, it's, I, so it's probably from the forties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's this beautiful sign. It says chamber of commerce in an arched banner. And it says, uh, member, Hot Springs National Park tourist information. And it's kind of like those like square signs with the beautiful little point on the bottom and little points on the top, red and black. It's gorgeous. Is it porcelain or is it? No, it's just tin with paint. Mm. paint tin. I'm surprised it doesn't have any bullet holes. That's the kind of sign. Exactly. That- yeah. 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 Wow. That is a great piece. Yeah. Yeah. I got that on a trip. I was actually going. I went to Texas. I flew to Texas to pick up a vehicle to bring back to Illinois um, for, it was a research vehicle. So like they needed it back in Illinois and <laughs> on the way back, I just did some picking on the way. Cause I had a whole truck, truck for, I mean, there was stuff in there from research, but I had basically free space. And so I'm like, Oh, I will do some picking. I found this guy on Craigslist, selling out his antique shop. And so I, I, yeah, I got that there on the trip from Texas to Illinois. Very cool. Real quick before we go, what are your favorite places to look for stuff? Or like, do you look like, mo- I know you look online, but if you're shopping in person, like where's your favorite oh, places to yeah. get? Um, definitely flea markets. They're the best. Um, you can find some really cool stuff there. Um, just looking, searching. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do go to a lot of antique shops. I don't necessarily buy too much, but I always go and like get my cards. Say, hey, if you ever find any license plates, let me know. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I, buy, I buy a lot off Facebook and, and eBay. So I'm in a lot of Facebook groups where people are just selling collectibles and I'm just like, hey, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And I bet that the stuff you collect is often overlooked. So you can usually find it for. Yeah, it depends. If it's something like this, they're usually mm-hmm. double what they really yeah. want. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, just random license plates, you can find a big box of them for a couple bucks each. It, it's not less. So it's so cool. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled now for all of those things, (laughs) especially if I find something interesting and I'm like, Hey, Alex, look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Let me know. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. I am now it's like my eyes have broadened (laughs) to cool travel memorabilia and I love it so much. Great. Yeah. Good luck at your flea market today. I hope that it goes really well and that the brewery location is exceptional. We'll see. Sounds fun. So, I mean, worst case, we'll drink some beer and won't sell anything, but that's fine too. Is, is that a bad day? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs>